You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to a Locked On crossover, or as we like to call it, behind enemy lines. For those who don't know me, I'm Robert Land, the Locked On Texans host, alongside my co-host, Brian Patterson. We're joined by Locked On Jaguars host, Chris Thornton and Zach Goodall. Good to have you guys with us. Appreciate you having us on. Yeah, appreciate uh, having us on. Good old rivalry season. Just as all the experts predicted, uh, Chris and Zach, uh, the Jags just dominating the AFC South, Blake Bortles. Better quarterback rating than Cam Newton, Eli Manning, and Derek Carr. We, we all knew this was going to happen. I, for one, never doubted my Jaguars ever. And you can look through my Twitter and see that I'm lying to you right now. <laughs> I, 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 for one, have preached that Blake Bortles would be the quarterback that he is right now for the entire season. So No, you have not. <laughs> and, you, and I have no receipts sta- I have no receipts on Twitter saying otherwise because my old Twitter was hacked and deleted. Was hacked and deleted. So <laughs> you can't prove me well, wrong. Well, they hacked into it, then they deleted it. Man, they just that that was. <laughs> they were it, it, they were actually helping Chris out for stuff like this. Oh, they, they, wow. were getting, they were getting rid of all my bad takes. So I think it was a blessing. <laughs> Tell people what this guy's been doing the last couple of weeks. This is pretty impressive. I'm working on a project right now for it. I uh, I write for Big Cat Country as well for part of SB Nation. It's just been jaw dropping to say the least because. Bortles has looked not in any way like really good this year, but just like better than what he was last year. The turnover machine, the, you know, holy crap. He just threw an interception off of someone, some dude's foot. Like he's been better than that this year. And I figured, you know, it's whatever. I mean, he'll still hold them back a bit, but um, they'll replace him next year and be a true threat. Then suddenly these past two weeks, I really don't know what's happened, but it's not been fluky because he's done it twice once against Indianapolis and their their defense, which we'll consider to be like a college talent. But then to do it against Seattle as well, even though they were still injured, they still have a lot of good players. And he just seemed so confident and the team has his back and they're like they're voicing it very, very openly. And it's been incredible to watch. Like no one would have expected this. Yeah, it's just it's amazing to me because I looked at the last two weeks and I, I hadn't been following that close. We're caught up in our own quarterback issues and you, you know a little bit about that but uh looking at the numbers the last two weeks it's his, his quarterback rating I saw on pro football reference was 119 and 123 the last two that's that's great by anybody's standards much less Blake standards I feel like the biggest thing that's been for me uh is just like the ball placement and just the ball itself because we all knew Blake last the past few seasons the the quirky motion, which is still there, but it's actually seemed to have tightened up a lot, kind of just under, I mean, it's been I quicker. Really knew, it's been quicker and the ball is no longer like wobbly. It's it's almost a tight spiral. Like if you look at that touchdown that he threw to uh, Keelan Cole, the, <laughs> 70, the 75 yard touchdown, it's that's it's like on the money, perfect spiral. And I don't think a lot of people were expecting that mm. from Blake, especially this late in the season. I, I was watching that from the opposite end zone. And I was at the game and I saw, so I, I saw Blake Bortles back when he threw the ball and I could see in the open field where that ball was dropped. And I told myself immediately, even before Cole scored, this is the best ball that I think Blake has ever thrown in his entire career. And I thought that for a while until later on in the game, he dropped a 25 yard pass that didn't score, 
but it was to Didi Westbrook up the right sideline, and it was another one. And I suddenly thought, like, this is real. Like, th- he's thrown two of his best career passes, in my opinion, in the same game in December in meaningful football against the Seahawks. Like, what is happening right now? What's the deal with the, the fans there? Because, you know, it's always a bit question mark in Jacksonville. You know, you just wonder, well, hey, if you give them a winner, can they actually come come out and show up? And, and guys, I, I was there and, and the when they were, were good. Uh, back when they went to the AFC Championship game, I actually, uh, you know, in my other career, I've done uh, sports television, uh, working for the CBS out of Memphis at the time. And uh, I was there for the AFC Championship game with them and the Titans and saw the electricity in, in the crowd there, saw when they were really good back in the day with, with uh, Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardell and all those guys. Uh, what's it like there? Are people starting to get into this thing? They're definitely there on Twitter. <laughs> it took a couple of weeks and suddenly we're the most hated fan being the entire NFL. For the Colts game, it was kind of disappointing, to be honest, in the Colts game because the, you have this team coming back who is winning games for the first time in a while at home. And the Colts game was kind of disappointing in the turnout. But then the Seahawks game, I mean, we we packed out the house. I mean, granted, I will say that there were a lot of Seattle fans, which, by the way, were very quiet. I'm kind of taking a shot at the traveling 12th man because they definitely did not do what they're known for being loud. They were pretty quiet, especially at the beginning of the game. They made a little bit of noise, but I'm hoping that Everbank looks like it did this past week against the Seahawks because I think, I mean, players have voiced it several times and they continue will that they're kind of feeding off the energy that the crowd's given them and I think they deserve nothing but all of us to come in person and cheer them on as they're fighting for this uh the playoffs I mean if they win you guys I'm sure know but if they win this week against the Texans I mean when they're in Brian I, I was looking at the point spread I don't know if you caught this but uh Jacksonville favored by 11 and a half or it's double digits isn't it isn't that what you guys saw yeah, a lot, yeah, I, I saw eleven. I said, yeah, I saw it open at eleven. That's pretty remarkable. There was times this season, I'm sure uh, you were wondering if the offense could put up eleven points with Bortles. <laughs> yeah, and, and and the Texans, you know, it, it's uh, if the, for the for the Jags fans that are listening, uh, just to let you guys know, if 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 you haven't been following real close. Uh, everybody knows that Deshaun Watson's been out, but uh, basically the Texans don't have their number one and number two quarterback, number one and number two tight end, uh, number, let's see, number one and number two and number three and number four uh, offensive tackles. Uh, they're missing <laughs> uh, some of their wide receivers. Uh, J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless, I think most of you guys are familiar with that, but uh, it, it's a mash unit, and so – uh, we run out there with, with TJ Yates this week, uh, the third starting quarterback to play for the Texans. And, um, you know, thanks to you guys, we got an early chance to see Deshaun Watson and see what he's <laughs> able to do. But uh, unfortunately, there's about 30,000 fans that showed up in the last game because everybody's kind of checked out of this season. I do want to let you know that I, as well as Chris, like very much like Peter King, are bummed for Texans fans that Deshaun Watson is out because even though we're supposed to hate you guys and everything like that, Chris and I were both very much on the Deshaun Watson come to Jacksonville, please train. So even though he's a Texan and we're forced to hate him, we also very much love him at the same time. So we hope he bounces back fully um, for next year and for seasons abroad. That'll be a really fun matchup between this team and Deshaun. Is there any 
alternative universe? Is there any scenario that you can see play out where Blake Bortles is bought, brought back for a fifth season? They picked up his fifth-year option, which was back uh, in the offseason of this year. It's worth about $19 million, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, or a little yeah. bit under that. So, you know, are they going to bring in Eli or what do you think is going to happen? Or, or do you, you think they're going to roll at Blake Bortles, especially with the way he's playing now? Chris, you want to bat this off first and I'll go after? Yeah, uh, <laughs> basically, it's if Blake continues to play like the way he has the past two weeks uh, for the rest of the season and into the playoffs, especially if he notches a win or two in the playoffs, I think that would definitely factor into the decision. At that point, if he does do that and they just switch to say they get beat by a better team in the playoffs just handily, it's not like Blake Bortles throwing three pick sixes to lose a game. Uh, I would be all for them signing Blake back, not to the 19 million per se, maybe like cut him and then re-sign him to an actual like deal. Uh, But yeah, I'd be all for giving Blake money if that's the case, because he's kind of turning into... He's actually playing like a quarterback that wants that can compete in the NFL. Yeah, it's it really has been incredible. And at the same time, we haven't seen any consistency ever. So it's hard to really make any analysis of it because his rookie year was very, very bad. His sophomore season was the one where he was considered to be a top 100 NFL player. Last year, he was like the butt end of jokes around the NFL. And suddenly right now, he's playing the hottest of his career. So even if he does finish out the season really well, I feel the same as Chris. You give him a much more team-friendly deal. And I'm still in the position where I say you'd even draft a quarterback in the first or second round or sign someone, whatever you feel most confident in, as a backup plan. You start Blake at the start of the season and he's great, then you know that you were really just Blake playing well away from being a contender you didn't really lose much because I mean you're winning or if he isn't then you've got your backup plan what, what, what's the other plan for quarterbacks what who else would you guys be looking at I would keep my eye for rookies on a guy like Josh Rosen or Mason Rudolph just because they uh they're the guys that at least from what I've been able to tell scouts are out there a lot watching them they just seem to be fits in the offense that they're trying to run anyway. Um, Eli as a free agent obviously makes a lot of sense because of Coughlin, but he wouldn't be a long-term thing either. I think if they're keeping Blake, they just draft a guy. How much do you think Leonard Fournette is a factor in Bortles' success? I mean, he has to throw the football, but Leonard Fournette is, is certainly uh, one of those guys that is going to be elite at his position for many years to come. So what's your take on that? I've actually talked about this exact scenario today. I said, I'm saying that it's Blake, I think, finally kind of getting things, but I think it's finally Blake having a team around him. Okay. A team that supports him. Having a competent O-line for probably one of the first times. I mean, he's had a decent O-line the last few years, but one that can run or run and pass block. And then having a run game to support Blake, because we all knew the last few years teams were stacking eight or nine in the box and they because they knew Blake couldn't throw it. And all of a sudden you get a guy like Fournette, who even if they are stacking the box with eight or nine, he's still able to break off runs. And then Mm -hmm. Blake is slowly starting to show that, hey, the passing game's there and teams, I think, are getting a little more uh, honest and sending four or five guys. Uh, pass rushing and then having guys in coverage. That's another thing with Blake's confidence is he said it this week. 
they knew at some point this season they were going to have to stop relying on the run game so much. And obviously that started to happen when the injuries piled up. And there were two starters missing off the offensive line in the right tackle, Jeremy Parnell, and the left guard, Patrick Omame. Fournette was dealing with a nagging ankle injury. And uh, I didn't expect his confidence to rise so quickly. But once he started feeling it and started making these smart plays, especially against the Colts, that's when that confidence really shot through the roof. And suddenly they were able to excel at both. And he did exactly what they needed to do. What's the percentage effect of a new coach as opposed to just having a little bit more talent than you've had the last couple of years? I look at it as a mix of both because the new coach definitely was a major, major disciplinary sh- uh, like shakeup. The entire culture changed because I'll keep it real with you, and you guys know this. I mean, you guys saw Gus Bradley eight times in the past four years, so you you knew what our culture was like, and he always said it really wasn't about winning. It was more about getting better. And if you can't implement winning from day one in your in your franchise, what are you doing? And it was the second that Marone and Coughlin all came in. They said, like, you know, what is this? This isn't about not winning. This is only about winning. And that's the that was the running joke at Tom Coughlin's press conference. Someone was stupid enough to ask him if winning actually mattered. And he, 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 no, they asked, um, they asked Doug Marone that question and Coughlin like demanded the mic and said like, yeah, we're trying to win lunch today is what we're trying to do. Like everything is about winning. And I think that really, really made a cultural change throughout the locker room. Guys started to care more about it and have each other's backs at the same time. Clayus Campbell has broken the team record in sacks. AJ Bouye's. We take we take AJ Boy from you guys, and we are eternally grateful for it because he has been phenomenal. So obviously, there's also a lot of added talent there too, and the two put together made this team dominant. I'll be looking for a Christmas card. Thank you for Boye. That yeah, that's uh, we talk about him almost uh, every couple of weeks. Like, hey, well, sure would be nice to have him in, a, in this garbage secondary. <laughs> you guys deserve a lot more than a thank you card. I promise you that. <laughs> you think Tom Coughlin, you know, is just sitting back in his chair up in his office, just laughing at how the Giants have just imploded. And the the wonder guy, the wonder boy, uh, Bob McAdoo, who was supposed to, you know, part the Red Sea for the Giants, you know, he's out of a job. And he comes in just in one season and is able to change the culture uh, with direction and, and whatnot. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that? And uh, and how did you feel when he did come back to the Jaguars? The initial reaction when they saw that they were in talks with Coughlin was what, what his position was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I was all for him being in the role that he is now in football yeah. operations. I wasn't necessarily a fan of him going back to coaching. Okay. Because I knew that what I felt like that wouldn't that have been. That window would have been really, really short. Yeah. Whereas a guy like Marone can coach for 10 more years, maybe. Uh, but Coughlin having kind of the oversee of everything, I think it was like the best role you could possibly have for him. And I mean, just looking at how everything's coming together, you could probably attest to him being in that role. Yeah. And that that's another thing with the culture is as head coach, he obviously would have had like a big part of culture as well. But even from his role, we have really no idea what he's in control of yet. By all accounts that are in the building, this was still Dave Caldwell's free agency class and draft class. Now, we know Coughlin had a word in it. We don't know who his actual like board of guys was or anything. But 
they're declaring it to be Marone and Caldwell are still the masterminds behind this. And Coughlin is more of the overseer, like Chris said. But at the same time, like they still do during games up on the board, like ways to win by coach Coughlin. He's got like a checklist throughout the year and he goes over it. And it's not just, I mean, it's whether it's cliche or not, it's not just the football field, but it's like in life, like the way to be a winner and stuff like that. Coughlin's obviously a pretty good winner (laughs) when we look at his track record. So my buddy, Matt Hoffman, who's a big time uh, Jags guy for BCC as well, has always said that the Team's biggest problem, even though there were a multitude of them heading into this year and last year, was the culture. And that changed, and suddenly we see where we're at now. Run the scenario for us, if you would. Like, How do you see this playing out the rest of the year? Can, can they make a run in the playoffs? Can they you know, do what Trent Dilfer did with the, with the uh, Ravens back in the day or you know, what, what the uh, dead-armed Peyton Manning did the last year of his career to win the Super Bowl? I think one bad performance from Blake would kill most of that momentum. But right now he's so hot and proved it two games in a row, especially in the atmosphere against the team that of the Seahawks this past week to where like, if he doesn't break this hot streak, I don't know if there's really a team that I would feel confident in saying could beat the Jaguars on either conference. And I sound like a cocky Homer and I know I do. And I accept that. But at the same time, like, it's been incredible. I'm still, I'm still kind of in awe by it. I, 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 don't, I don't know if, how many people would really disagree with it either if he can continue playing like he has. And cause, because it all comes down to the Jags offense because there's no offense in the league now that Wentz is out that I'm scared of for our defense to go against. I mean, Wentz in that high-octane offense – uh, was obviously terrifying for everybody, and I feel like they would definitely give the Jags a run for their money. Tom Brady, obviously him being the magician that he is, looked mortal last night against the Dolphins, and I think having Boye and Ramsey back there alone just shutting guys down and the pass rush, if you can make Tom uncomfortable, you're probably going to win the football game. Mm. Uh, it really comes down to if the offense can score points. The only team really that kind of has an offense that's even close to the Eagles is the Rams, and they didn't really muster up much when they played Jacksonville. They won that game almost solely on special teams scores. So the defense is the defense is legit. They're yeah. definitely the mouthpiece of this team. They talk all the crap and they deservedly can because they are the reason <laughs> where the Jags are now. One thing that I noticed that's just been incredible to me about the defense, because I don't know how many times you can go back and say it with any team that this is like something that you can routinely do. And the run defense has gotten better throughout the year. It was really bad to start. But the pass defense in both the terms of the rush and the coverage are so good on their own that at points during the game, they can look at each other and say, okay, the pass rush, go do your thing. And like you guys eat. Okay. And then they'll do it. And then the pass rush can look at the secondary and say, we're not going to send too much pressure. You guys just more do your thing. And they lock down and they have no issue. There will be the occasional broken play, like um, when Russell Wilson broke out of a sack this past weekend and somehow Paul Richardson ended up scoring. That just that'll happen. But for the most part, it's like interchangeable. It could be, okay, test our pass rush or okay, test our secondary. One or the other, they'll find a way to beat you. And I don't know how many times you can look at teams and say, wow, like they're so they can click just like that. This is pretty much the team, same team with just about the same parts, you know, just bringing in the new coach with a new culture. But from past teams, what do you think this team does special 
as opposed to yesteryear, what's the one thing that stands out to you guys? Pass, pass rush. rush. I would have never guessed that the pass rush would have been this good. When we signed Calais Campbell, I honestly thought like six sacks was going to be his ceiling. Like I was not like I wasn't against the signing, but for the amount of money they were signing him, I was like. I don't know, but man, when he even just out of the first game, I was wrong, almost completely wrong with my score or my sack prediction. And then him to set the record uh, for sacks in a season has been huge. And Yannick, uh, it's right behind him. He might end up Mm -hmm. uh, finishing with the record. So, yeah, the pass rush was definitely something I did not expect being this good this season. Yeah, I second that. I don't think the Jaguars have broken like 35 to 40 sacks, I would genuinely say, since 2006, maybe. It was like the Mike Peterson days. A couple years, maybe four or five years after the Texans like were opened up in Houston. I'm dead serious. <laughs> it's been that long since they've even had like an average pass rush, and they've been trying to fix it through you know, all these different regimes and they finally have. So I, I I'd say yeah. that's it. Yeah. The Texans learned last year, I think in that playoff game that if, if you can't get to Brady, your best bet is uh, probably not to let him, you know, move around too much, kind of, you know, push him out of the pocket. Uh, I think, yeah. I think he's a little bit dangerous there, but if you can bring, bring it up the middle, I, I felt, I felt like that was the way to get, get them a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Clowning. Now, I, 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 like I said, I've been a homer as of late since this all started, and I'm, co- I, I'm being cocky when I say like they match up well against the Patriots. Full disclosure: if it comes down to the Jags versus the Patriots, I still will be nervous as can be because this is Tom Brady we're talking about. Biggest test the Jaguar, this Jaguars team will have ever faced by a landslide if that's what happens. What do you think the Jags fans want to know about the Texans? Is there, is there anything? Do you- do you have any questions? Are they going to break how many times they sacked Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson in week one this week? <laughs> in yeah, all honesty, it's going to be the guy. TJ Yates led you guys to a playoff victory a couple years ago, though. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I could I could be eating my words come this week. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to break. I don't think they're going to break the record because <laughs> Yates is mobile and they were getting a savage the first week because of the lack of mobility. I thought in a lot of ways and, right. and savage also tends to hold on to the ball too long. And then, and then, you know, they picked up a few sacks at the end with Deshaun Watson, but that's just because, you know, it was his first game that he ever played in the NFL. So, so yeah. he just wasn't, I don't think he was quite ready, but he figured it out by week two in the Bengals and then took off like a shot from there. But uh, we're, we're, we're just playing the wait till next year game. I guess it's just, it's just so much uh, bad luck for the Texans this year. It's next man up. They always say that in the NFL and you'll hear Texans say that, but I think there, it's gotten to the point. Even when I talk to the guys in the locker room, you'll hear the, the them say that, yeah, well, there's a lot of guys that aren't here right now. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you've, you've almost run out of next man up to be up. Yeah, it's, it's like, do you have a pulse? Yeah, that, that's yeah. the main thing. <laughs> I think the, I, I would say probably the scariest thing that the Jags have to worry about is the man who's the highest paid receiver in football, and DeAndre Hopkins, which will be Hopkins versus Ramsey. Which oh yeah, I I broke a few uh, probably now months ago uh, in October 
that uh, Ramsey will be mic'd up against Hopkins. So that I'm sure will be a, a, a fun show to watch. <laughs> if you're a Jags fan, just fix your eyes on that matchup the whole day. That's going to be a <laughs> gang fight right there between the two of those guys. I'm sure a lot of Jaguars fans are interested in knowing just because of the continuous rivalry. Rivalry. We want to keep uh, in touch with you guys. Is Bill O'Brien going to be back next year? We think so. I would think so. I mean, you you got to have him see Deshaun Watson through, and they had a yeah. great relationship together. And normally, Bill, he's not very, I guess, you know, with his offense, he it's his way or the highway. But you notice that he was get, doing a lot of give and take with Watson, where they would talk and see what would work with each other. And he tailored the game plan mm-hmm. uh, to Watson's strengths. And and as you saw, you know, we were winning games. We were a top offense. We were averaging 30 points a game. It it was working. And um, I really would love to see him through. Um, you know, Bill O'Brien may not necessarily be the most of a of a people person, you know. I mean, but he's a coach. I mean, that's this is right. what you expect uh, out of him. But uh, I, I, I like him here. And he changed the culture because yeah. as much as I love Gary Kubiak, he was a player's coach. And they ran all over him. But they get they had his respect. But they still were able to do what they want. And Bill O'Brien, you know, he, he really runs that organization, you know, those players with an iron fist. Yeah, and the thing about uh, Bill O'Brien is he just this week, uh, we talked about it in our show on uh, Monday, he just got the uh, sort of vote of confidence, more than a vote of confidence, like we, we want him back from Deshaun Watson. And, you know, yeah. I was in the locker room with Jadavian Clowney when, when he was asked a question uh, just totally unrelated to to Bill O'Brien is the way the reporter kind of worded it, but he took it as a shot at Bill O'Brien and was immediately defending him. So uh, if Clowney and, and Watson want him back and they're vocal about it, he's coming back and Bill O'Brien is saying he wants to come back. There, there was also a question mark if he wanted to move on because of his relationship with Rick Smith. The thing is, if, if you're, if you're not from Houston, it might, you might not understand this, but uh, Rick Smith has been here for a long time. He's basically got a lifetime contract the, with the way the, yeah. the Texans have handled the situation. And the, the deal with Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien is we have no idea what's going on between the, the two of them. And you, you never hear from Rick Smith unless it's draft day and, or the couple of days during the draft where he kind of comes out and uh, gives his assessment of why they picked this guy or that guy. Otherwise, Rick Smith is is in hiding for the rest of the year. Right. So it, it's difficult to get a real pulse and unless you hear some rumor from Ian Rappaport or one of the the big time NFL insiders, uh they, they they get leaks from from the Texans, but we don't know where the leaks are coming from. So it's real difficult to know uh what's true, what's not true, who who this is coming from. But yeah, the assumption here is that you know, Bill O'Brien will come come back. I mean, they're it's a loyal franchise, and and Bob McNair doesn't make moves really quickly. Uh, Gary Kubiak might have been gone the year before uh, he started winning a couple of division titles. Uh, if it was up to the fans, but all of a sudden uh, things started to work. Obviously, they drafted JJ Watt, <laughs> uh, yeah, which helped yeah, a, that helped a little bit. Little. So yeah, th- <laughs> there was some good stuff uh, uh, from from Kubiak, but there was all, also plenty to say that. He was just a mediocre coach, and I and I think in the end that's what he was—sort uh, of lightning in the bottle with Denver in the Super Bowl, and you know, just you couldn't find a better guy from the outside looking in. As as Brian said, uh, uh, Kubiak was 
seemed like the more players coach, but you know, the, the players seem to have a lot of respect from Bill O'Brien. I don't see them breaking rank too much with him. Bill O'Brien seems to be safe in Houston by all accounts. Uh, now I just have a question for you two personally. Who are you more scared to throw at Ramsey or Boye? I'd probably say uh, Ramsey because Boye is uh, he's apt sometimes to get a pass interference penalty or two. And if DeAndre Hopkins is on him, he's the master of drawing pass interference penalties. And boy, he got a couple. I, I think he got a couple even that first Texans-Jags game. So I, that, that would be me. What about you, Bri? Bouye, I think because he has, you know, a chip on his shoulder that he's ready to to show the Texans, you know, what he has. I mean, it was mutual when he left, but I, I would love to see them throw to Bouye to challenge him to see, you know, what, what he's got. I mean, he's been playing at an elite level the whole year you know, where he's at right now, but um, – I want to see some A.J. Bouye and uh, Will Fuller and see how that goes. That's if P.J. doesn't forget he's there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think that'll be fun. And this will be fun going forward, too, for A.J. going against the Texans twice a year because that's what everyone will look at. It's like, oh, oh, it's A.J. Because he really has. uh, Jaguars fans are almost – at points, they'll argue about it. Who's been better? Has it been Boye or has it been Ramsey? We don't really know, and we're just kind of like, well, they're both, <laughs> they're both doing great at what they do. So they're they're really the yin and yang of a def- of defensive backs. Yeah. Uh, they're they're so opposite, the best but, they, they, but they match each other perfectly. That's what we've noticed the most is that Ramsey is such. I mean, you guys know it when he's going against DeAndre. Even if DeAndre gets a couple plays off, Ramsey is going to be like, <laughs> you got nothing on me. He's such like, like he will destroy you mentally, physically. And like he's a superior athlete, great in coverage, too. But like he brings all the aspects to it. Whereas we always say this Boye is the technician. Like he is just so like that was his favorite word in training camp. Any interview opportunity he had that I paid attention to, he would mention about how he was focused on technique 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 and that's why he really doesn't have many blown coverages and he always seems to be well within reach of any receiver that he's covering he he stays dedicated to what he knows he needs to do this week i would say the the guy that could change the game for the texans is if will fuller had a couple of big touchdowns he can hit the home run ball uh deandre hopkins it's just going to be tough for this texans offense with with all the injuries and with tj yates to go up and down the field in an eight and 10 play drives, but Will Fuller, you know, you might take just a couple of a uh, big touchdowns in this game. It, it obviously has the potential to be a big defensive battle. Uh, the Texans secondary is weak. So Bortles might have his third straight good, good week, but you know, they, they, they've shown some t- times where they looked better. I mean, Jonathan Joseph has been uh, pretty decent the whole year. It's just everybody else that you're, you're concerned about. And it, it it's right. not, it's not really, you can't point to oh this guy or that guy. It's been more with the Texans secondary. It's it's a they're not in the right place. They're not where they should be. Guys are wide open in, in these zone coverages and stuff like that. So it's not oh we've got this one weak guy and if we could just replace him. It's been a multitude of guys that have uh, been a problem with the secondary and you know Bortles isn't a guy that we're assuming can just all of a sudden pull up with three hundred and thirty yards like what Jimmy G did last right. week. So we're assuming that maybe this game could be, uh, could be close. Uh, and, and the thing with the Texans is they fight. They do not give up even no. when they're having a bad season. Yeah, definitely. I agree. 
And you were talking about the defense. I'll ask you one more future question because I'm sure a lot of people want to know it. Do you guys think J.J. Watt has peaked in terms of a career standpoint? And I don't want to take away his talent, but with obviously two uh, two season-ending injuries, like I and plus his back obviously being an issue, like do you think he's gotten to that point where he has hit his peak? Unfortunately, way too early. Absolutely, absolutely. There's no way. There's no. He can't go up further than what he's already gone up on. Right. And you know, it, it, it's tough, but his days are, are numbered. You know, right. We, or in our last days of seeing J.J. Watt out there, because for a lot of these seasons, he hasn't been available. You right. know, he's prepared, and we still, you know, had a number one defense without him. He's so, we're so much better, and of course, this is obviously right. to say, we're so much better with him, but we, life would be okay uh, with, without him, but mm-hmm. it's just tough for him because he plays uh, out there just at an elite level, so hard doing right. things that haven't been done before. I, I, I just, you know, it, it's just a tough pill to swallow, but absolutely. And we don't know how, how well he's going to be back when he comes Right, uh, saying it's going to take a year for this injury to, for him to heal from it. So mm-hmm. more than likely it's going to be in the season next year when he is available and ready to play. He might even be ready for training camp. Yeah. He's, he's never going to be the same guys. I mean, this is a, the back injury. He just coming off of that. He wasn't the same guy. I mean, we're talking about one of the great athletes ever and it doesn't it's not a big difference between uh what jj watt could do uh when he's at his best and making him just like any other guy around the nfl any other good player and the greatness that he had you know i've said this a number of times but i've watched the nfl for over 40 years and i've never seen a defensive player that could dominate a game from where he dominates a game in so many ways i mean he's He's the best defensive player I've seen. And I remember Reggie White, Mm -hmm. Lawrence Taylor, guys like that. And I think J.J. was as good as any of those guys. And what people didn't see if you didn't watch him on a regular basis was, you know, he was doing all that while he was being double and triple teamed. And the the big, sad, unfortunate part about this whole thing is Clowney just wasn't healthy his first two years. He missed almost the entire first season. And he was still coming back from the injury in that second season. He wasn't. Uh, the, the clowny that everybody sees right now. And then once he got healthy the last the last two years, JJ's been hurt the last two years. So you never got to see what those two guys could do as a tandem. Right. And it could have been one of the most dangerous tandems that we've seen in NFL history. I agree. Yeah. As Jags fans, we love to hate JJ Watt just because that's what we do with any AFC South opponent. At the same time, I think Chris would agree with me here too that it really sucks, and we <laughs> we feel we we feel really really bad about it because, like I said, with Watson, like if these if these teams were able to stay at full health, like this would be such a fun competitive divisional matchup going forward that suddenly people might start res- to respect the AFC South again with how these teams could have been. It's a difference between beating a team like at full strength and then just saying you're better than beating teams because they're not healthy. Like you're, you're seeing guys like uh, JJ Watt being played with injuries and stuff like that. And even Andrew Luck, I feel like that whole situation, like the Colts were the team to like, they were the prototype of the future. And then that just kind of collapsed. And I'm still kind of, I'm mad at the Colts really for almost ruining Andrew Luck's prime. Uh, because they they failed to build a football team around him, and they I want to believe that 
their negligence and getting a O-line a little too late uh, cost Andrew Luck a probably a long and a, I mean, ch- he might, a long chunk of his prime. He he might he, he he could very well come back this this next year and be able to play at a high level. But I feel like they're just caught. They cost him a lot of good years and honestly, just good football for everybody because the league is better when your best players are healthy and playing. You can blame Ryan Ryan Grixon for that. I mean, he screwed it yeah. all up, and now this guy's got to come in and clean it up. You know, and you remember you remember when he would get hit, he would, you know, and they highlighted this. He would thank the guy that took him down. I was like, he's taking all these hits. Eventually, it's going to catch up to him, and and this is what happened. I mean, I think what he had, like his spleen worked on, or I, yeah, I, I forgot. yeah, that, that that's serious stuff. There was a, there was I a like lot. my spleen. <laughs> I, I I remember Jaguars fans would complain about their offensive line, and Blake for two his first two years was sacked monumentally more than a lot of quarterbacks across the NFL. Oh, yeah. But even, even like last year, like I did a piece on it where the Jaguars pass protection really was about league average last year. It was more Blake just being bad. That is what hurt the team, uh, at least at the quarterback position. But it was still league average. And this year it's even, I'd say, a little bit better. Maybe not like a top 10 or top five uh, pass blocking team, but a good one. And I'd fans would be like, oh, no, like it's the offensive line's fault that Blake is bad. And I was like, you guys have it lucky. (laughs) You have it lucky compared to Houston this year, the Colts for the past, like God knows how long. The Titans finally had a good offensive line. But um, I just didn't know why there was so much complaining when, yeah, Andrew Luck, I'd never heard of like a football player having a spleen injury, but here we were. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. Uh, Let's close it out guys. And I, cause I want to get some predictions. I I'll just throw mine out there. I I think, you know, of course you guys are going to win, but I think the, I think the Texans are, will cover. I just don't see an 11 and a half point spread. I might be wrong about that, but I I just, I feel like it's going to be a little bit tighter than that. Uh, No, I could see it being tighter. I think it'll be, I think a lot of people are going to hype this up as a game where it's like, ah, we just beat Seattle. Like no one can beat us now or whatever. And at the same time, hello Seattle beating Seattle is a very, very good thing. People are going to get overhyped and feel undefeatable about it. And I think the Texans may actually put them a little bit more in check divisional games, stuff like that. I'd say the Jaguars win too. Um, they might cover, but at the same time, I don't think it, it'll be anything more than a two possession game. I'll put it like Jaguars 27 Houston, 17 something like that that's about where i had him i mean with tj yates you're going to get some offense uh, out of him now if tom savage were starting i i i would be shocked if we put one touchdown up <laughs> and field goals gosh I, I don't know if you saw our kicker but he's missing them like crazy i we don't know if he's going to be back next year but uh yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's about where i'm at too I'm kind of going away from you guys. I'm I'm thinking it's going to near a blowout um, going 28, 10 uh, just for several reasons. One Ramsey hates to lose. Uh, a lot of these guys are really young and this is their first crack at the playoffs. Uh, it's a winner get in. I think Boye, I mean, Boye against Houston to beat them, to make the playoffs. But in his first year as the Jags, I think it's all going to come together at once. And I, I think that they're going to just kind of shut down Houston for most of the day. Zach and Chris, just uh, where can our fans follow you guys to 
find out what's going on with the Jaguars and some of the rest of the AFC South. Definitely check out the Locked On Jaguars handle. Uh, we're trying to boost the following on there. That's where we're going to pump a lot of our content. We're going to get our website uh, up soon. Hopefully not just doing Jags work, but we'd like to do a lot of different stuff without the AFC South. Maybe we can do some back and forth Q&As between the Locked On Texans and Titans and Colts if they ever get those other guys finished up. I don't know who they have for the Titans, but I'm pretty sure the Colts was still empty. No matter, whenever we get that um, set up, that's going to be our biggest thing. Uh, you can personally fo- follow me on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. Uh, Chris, I'll let you shout yourself out. Yeah, so uh, my handle is a little bit harder to pronounce and spell. It's uh, at Misto Christofo, but if you go to the Locked On Jaguars handle, I will be in the description there. So if you want to save yourself some time and spelling, uh, just head over to the Locked On Jaguars and look for the at Misto Christofo, and you can find all my usually bad takes over there. Can confirm. We're over at Locked On Texans, of course, also. And then uh, I'm at, at HST Podcast. Brian, you want to throw some Twitter handles? Yeah, go ahead and follow me. Uh, follow me at BRKP1999. That's my personal Twitter. But uh, HouseOfHouston.com, uh, that is a fan-sided site, all Houston sports. We've got everything up there. We're writing about, you know, the winter meetings. We're writing about the Rockets, which are doing very well right now. That's HouseOfHouston.com. Follow us at House of Houston on Twitter. Hey, thanks so much, guys, for doing this. Uh, looking forward to talk to you guys again. I'm sure we'll catch up in the offseason to see how free agency and the draft's going. For sure. We appreciate you guys having us on. Yeah, thanks for uh, – this has definitely been one of the better, uh, I think – I mean, boy, we've only done one crossover, so this is definitely up there. <laughs> We're in the top two. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, this was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah.